0: Welcome to Design Thinking Games, a fantasy and user experience podcast. Each episode, your podcast hosts, Tim Broadwater and Michael Schofield, will examine the player experience of board games, pen and paper role-playing games, live action games, mobile games, and video games. You can find every episode, including this one, on your podcatcher of choice and on the web at designthinkinggames.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by listeners like you at patreon.com slash design thinking games. So if we are talking about the thing that I think we're talking about, are we talking about the thing I think we're talking about? This is how sequels always start, right? <laughs> they <laughs> Um
0: you think you know what you're going to get, and every so often you are um, stopped, like right up front. You get a cold surprise. Welcome or not? Let's transition weirdly into Vampire: The Masquerade Blood Hunt because um, because it is definitely this definitely
1: a sequel. It yeah, this. is it?
0: Let's let's talk about this. Okay, so 17 years ago, um, and when when games were, I guess games are good now. When, ga- when when games were still good, but good in a different way vampire the masquerade colon bloodline is that right gosh now, now i'm second guessing myself vampire bloodlines. the Mas- yeah. yeah vampire the masquerade bloodlines came out and it was um we talked about this a little bit in our vtm episode so i'm not going to go deep but it was a transformative game it was a great rpg standalone with multiple threads in the style that the folks may think of like bioware games um, it had good, goodish voice acting, a little stilted uh, because the main character you play is like from Renaissance Europe and it sounds a little silly, but in general, the voice acting was on point. The powers were cool, the mood was right. Cool
1: RPG. And it has a sequel, right? This year, 2021, Vampire Bloodlines, The Masquerade Bloodlines 2. Indeterminate release date, all they keep saying is quarter three, quarter four. Right? It's
0: one of those games that have been um, delayed a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah, so so what, what we're ending up is is roughly in the same time period, and, and if we zoom out into like a 20-year time span, give or take a month or a quarter, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, and Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt. Are going to come out roughly around the same period. It's
1: interesting. Two vampire games this year.
0: Yeah. Well, it's caused a little bit of confusion. Um, the White Wolf, uh, who are the um, the owners of Vampire: The Masquerade, are trying to put Vampire as a as an IP out in front of more people beyond just like the tabletop. I think mm-hmm. they're trying to chase that D and D glory that you know um, Wizards of the Coast are really enjoying right now, um, but yeah, because of that, we have two game IPs releasing roughly around the same time. A lot of a lot of concern about the sequel proper, Bloodlines Two, and a lot of confusion about the question mark sequel, Blood Hunt. Um, Whether or not it's even a sequel or anything. But just basically tagging on to that IP has created a lot of consternation because what Blood Hunt Mm -hmm. is is not an RPG.
1: See, I always get confused about this with Call of Duty. I'm not a duty person. I know that some people are duty people, and that's fine. But I'm pretty sure the I, Call of
0: Duty people don't call themselves Duty people.
1: <laughs> I call them Duty people. No, that's that's a lot of shade. I'm sorry, but it's like I get lost. I have no idea, and it's like Assassin's Creed as well. And like at one point, you get to where is there a timeline? I don't know, understand the time, or is there just sequels? Or are we just now putting a word of flavor? Um, and it's like Resident Evil for the longest time adhered to like a number system and then it started going veronica and like other stuff and then it's like well wait where does this kind of fit in legend of zelda another example to where there are no numbers except um two the adventures of link the rest of them have no numbers and so there are many internet pages dedicated to like how the timeline works and which one's first and now we know that Skyward Sword is the very first one in the actual timeline and then the timeline splits you know into three different timelines is if the hero fails versus if the hero um, doesn't uh, or the hero wins you know and then there's different you know it's just crazy right do
0: they do they continue like the story after the hero like in the, the hero fail state does they do they actually continue that narrative
1: it does. And so the timeline, um, the timeline that's put together by fans factors in, um, if Ganon is stopped or not stopped, um, and the legend of Zelda ones. And so I, I believe if my understanding of it is correct, that there is, um, what is known as, uh, the dark timeline or, uh the hero is defeated the hero is successful um, and then the hero is successful splits into two totten lines because there is time travel in Legend of Zelda. so there's the child era versus the adult era. Wow the child era if the hero succeeds is like Majora's mask and Twilight Princess and four swords whereas like you know if it is the adult era where he succeeds it's the wind Waker. Or spirit tracks, or Phantom Hourglass. But if the hero's defeated, a link to the past, Oracle of Seasons, Link's Awakening, and then eventually, um, the first Legend of Zelda (laughs) and Adventure of Link. uh, It's just, it's just crazy. It's baffling.
0: Was that intent? Was that intentional, or are these like fan theories?
1: I think that's a good thing to talk about because I think you know, for the player or user, right? And the reason why we're kind of talking about, you know, this in general is sequels, you know, why the numbering or just spiritual sequels or the theming, right? But then also, you know, we also live in a time to where apart from the, the craziness or shenanigans that can happen when you introduce numbers and break away from numbers, or if you misnumber things or you don't use numbers you're just using words and then well where does it fit you know in the timeline you also have um prequelization where like prequels come out after the original one you know with like like outlast outlast 2 then there's outlast whistleblower which is the third one but it actually takes place before one You know, and then apart from that in spiritual sequels, we have alternate timelines kind of stuff, right? Um, And then you also have things that are like Mass Effect game carryover, like what you do in your first game gets saved and persists to the second game and affects things. But now, technology-wise, we all know that software is... When you buy the CD, it literally just goes into your gaming console to download the file, right? right? Because it's (laughs) you don't have software proper anymore that's on a... Nintendo is literally the only one still doing the cartridge, right? But even if you put in the cartridge, you're still downloading gigs of files on a Switch, right? But then with DLC, it's like, do we even need to make a two or three or four? Why make a whole new game if all we're just going to do is give you more quests, more stories, more items, you know? So then you just have an ever expanding game as opposed to the traditional sequel that we're all used to. So that's
0: the that's the Rockstar formula, right? You know, so like how Grand Theft Auto V came out what 10 years ago? Does that sound mm-hmm. right? Um and they've constantly expanded the 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 universe, introduced tons of different games, new physics, new, you know, I mean they're they're able to patch one of the functional reasons of sequels In games, um, let's forget like sequelization of like novels and cinema for a minute, but like just in games is one of the things with sequels is that it provides literally a demarcation where teams can build brand new uh, technology tailored to new platforms that didn't exist prior. They can load in a whole bunch of stuff and kind of see how it plays. So the, the demarcation between, you know, title one and title two and Title three not only represents like narrative sequelization but new technology mm-hmm. Rockstar doesn't have to do this anymore in fact nobody really has to do this and that kind of introduces uh, kind of an interesting point which is you know why <laughs> um, like um, why why would they release like a Grand Theft Auto 6 ever yeah Right. Uh, why, Bre- you, everyone's yeah.
1: having the same freak out when on the Nintendo front with Breath of the Wild because yeah. Breath of the Wild 2 I mean is it is it it's own game or is it just DLC they don't change any of the rendering engine they don't change any of the graphics you know um, it's it is literally new content and so but Breath of the Wild 2 is kind of how it's being Presented, but it's just going to be DLC for one.
0: Do they know whether there is like a like a new voice actor cast or new new deep narrative coming for two? Yeah, so
1: yeah, so there's already they did. Nintendo is like one of the last people who actually participate in E3 because (sighs) everyone's just I think abandoned E3. But in their 2021 E3, you know, kind of demo, they actually. Um, had a two minute long preview of the sequel to Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And they leave it untitled, but everyone refers to it as Breath of the Wild 2. Interesting. And it is the same um, on Google search, it's Breath of the Wild 2. And so it's kind of this thing to where, I, you know, when you're trying to break the mold and change the model to it, it's like, hey, we have this world that works, we have a system that works um, you know, all of everything we have is golden. So why can't we just keep adding more to it? Like adding more map, adding more stories, adding more quests and, and let that, you know, kind of shape it out. Um, and so I feel like you have the traditional people who are thinking, no, it has to be a new game that has a new title. And, and, um, people are opposed to, you know, the DLC, um, sequel you know and so i think it's i think what's interesting here is what is user preference or player preference versus what people think it is right
0: yeah the, the way you know the, the way my gears started to spin were toward identifying what the jobs to be done here are and on the developer side i think the I think the job to be done of SQLization is pretty clear. Uh, A SQL is a convenient production container, right? It's something that can have a finite budget. You can see a finite or constrained return on investment. Um, You order, sorry, order you hire or contract VO and engineering work and whatever design work for that specific unit product. And I get it that as a business, equalization makes sense because, you know, you need to modularize things for your own sanity. I can appreciate that long-running, like super, like super long-running franchise tri- franchises that are, let's call it, largely DLC. Maybe something like World of Warcraft. I can appreciate like that the the management of such a thing is probably more difficult.
1: Potentially. Oh, yeah. Like DVDs, like that as well. But or Guild Wars, you know, when you yeah. add new content.
0: Well, you know, and, and the job to be done for like users for, you know, like when a sequel comes out, I think, I would guess probably relates to the job for the developers. There's something about a sequel versus DLC that you pointed out where I think a sequel represents whether or not anyone would use this language, but. You know feel like you know let's feel this out I, I think i'm onto something here but a sequel represents a focused allocation of money from the developer and so when you see a sequel you expect you know production value right mm-hmm. whereas dlc literally sounds cheaper i mean that that's the suggestion you know it does um
1: and what you were saying before which is you know a sequel traditionally was like hey we have new tech we have a new console so let's release something on this new hardware capability and so the software is matched to the hardware right but I think what we're seeing increasingly is software being agnostic of hardware. Sure. Um, We are in a time to where recently this year, Netflix has announced they're going into gaming and those games can be delivered on whatever you get the Netflix app. So that could be your PlayStation, your phone, your Roku TV or, or whatever. So it's, it doesn't really matter what the hardware is. Right. And then, but to me, As opposed to thinking of it like hardware. And I know we've talked previously about the great interaction models, hardware that Nintendo uses, because Nintendo, Mm -hmm. in that regards, is always ahead of the curve. You know, they had the first... 3d rendering on the 64 you know that was the big that's why the controllers look like Star Fox chips in my opinion but but then oh wow what what an observation yeah yeah and i think the gamecube is the first one that lets you plug in four controllers by default and the games were like let's let people let's do super smash brothers or um teen titans or godzilla destroy all monsters which allows four players on the screen at the same time then they went into motion control with the wii and then they had a the first tablet and the tablet was literally a step to, um, the mm-hmm. switch and then the first cursor or not cursor, but pin interaction with the uh, DS and three DS. And, and so I like the hardware chasing, you know what I mean? But, um, there are certain gamers who don't care about the hardware at all. And I'm not saying just certain, maybe it's a lot of gamers. But what they love about Mario is the fun side-scrolling mechanics of it. And how, from one addition to another, are those mechanics improved? Um, in Monster Hunter, which has tons of sequels, how do they look at the previous... I think there's a piece here that is also, how do we improve? How do we improve? How do we improve? Do we improve? So, right. um, apart from the hardware piece, there is, how do we keep the essence of it? Add to the world the narrative but then also improve gameplay so it seems like a so it's a, it's a tough like order to fill right and so like what people love about the new monster hunter rise which just came out for the switch is everything that was laborious and took tons of time and was a huge time suck they automated and just by doing that like gathering Materials, mining, fishing, like doing all these things that were just like, dude, this just takes so much time. They just made it. Oh, no, it's one click. You just have to go do it. <laughs> yeah. and, and people loved it because then the focus became on hunting the monsters and killing the monsters. Not like all of the tedious things that, you know, that everyone is used, you know, is used to it or is used to being a monster. So that type of improvement, like improving the gameplay. But adding to the story and embracing the hardware advances—I mean, to me—is kind of what sequels were about. But some of them don't ever, never change, right? I mean, some games, like every single one that comes out, it is literally the same. And and I think that's maybe where people or the perception of it is—is um, is why certain people maybe don't get into certain franchises.
0: Well, and I—I I think you know we're kind of in a time both you know technologically and. Um, I don't know. Spiritually, maybe where. Sequelization is a big umbrella category for a lot of different things. You, you're you talking about Monster Hunter Rise. And I I was going to ask that you consider that a proper sequel or is it an expansion? Do you consider an expansion a sequel?
1: yeah so that is also um it's just where it starts to get weird you know yeah that's where it also like they just kind of jump and change like in the middle of the processes right so um so monster hunter um is started out it's well first off it's been on a lot of different platforms right um and i think um monster hunter uh you have Monster Hunter, then Monster Hunter 2, right? And then for Wii, they did Try T-R-I, but 3. And then there was 4 that came out on 3DS, and then they abandoned it, the numbering system. Then it became World, and then it became Rise, as it went to PlayStation or Xbox or mm-hmm. Switch. And so I feel like the numbering is something maybe from the 80s <laughs> that we all have to deal with <laughs> because that, so that
0: could be because that maybe
1: seems. because street fighter seems to be that way like um, the only thing that i know that stick. i would also say um resident evil right yeah that's it's a video game series and then essentially what we're looking at is the video game series um oh i can't even tell you like all the things but if there's a resident evil resident evil 2 3 is nemesis then there's veronica then zero which comes out i guess before the first one um, then there's remakes of them outbreak resident evil 5 6 7 so they're keeping largely to the same number series just like final fantasy does final fantasy is very specific to the numbers Um, and when they say final fantasy 16, (laughs) people know what that is, you know, because they've played six, seven, eight, nine, or, or, you know, one, two, three, and four. As a user,
0: as a player, as a consumer, I find, I find sequelization obnoxious. Um, I am often confused, um, or yeah, because like when I think of a sequel, I am thinking of the narrative next step. The the yeah. fact that, like, say, Mortal Kombat one and Mortal Kombat two, like, largely lead from one to the other. I think is an is an accident or a loose because I do not consider Mortal Kombat two a sequel mm-hmm. um, when we're talking about it. I would consider Mass Effect 2 a sequel to Mass Effect 1. Red Dead Redemption 2 is actually a prequel to Red Dead Redemption 1. But there's um, – but, but something like – when you're getting into like Assassin's Creed, right? I think they kind of stopped numbering things after 3. Um, they are loosely aligned but so loosely, you know, rooted mm-hmm. in kind of like the same narrative that you know eventually eventually they do what i think sequels do and that like trends towards the entropy of just dropping the numbers entirely um, mm-hmm. and considering themselves expansions. but as a user it's hard because like hey there's um there's like i you know i'm an X um but one day um i'm going to pick up uh, like a PS4 or a PS5, and I am going to go play some of those like Naughty Dog games. Mm-hmm. And I tend to expect that I can't play, I can't play, um, you know, Last of Us two before I play Last of Us one. That's probably true. I'm the for, same
1: way. I will, uh, I will make myself do a horrible prequel that's ten years old.
0: Well, you're you're doing that now,
1: right? You're you're
0: you're playing. Or you have played Mass Effect One?
1: I started out with this is one of my favorite games, as you know um, Evil Within. I saw the trailer yeah. for Evil Within 2 at like E3 years ago, and it gave me shivers. Like it was like, dude, this is something I need to play. But then. When I found out, like, oh, the first one came out for PS2. It's it's really old, Oof. you know, and, and so, I or PS3, maybe. I can't remember. Um, I went and played it. Um, it was painful. <laughs> so I get why people say that. They're like, just start with two. Don't worry about it. But I will say, there is so much context and is story. It? I was going to ask if there was. You will miss, and you will not feel, and it will not hit you in the feels. Two will not hit you in the feels if you did not play one,
0: you know? That seems like a proper sequel, right? And that's that's really interesting. Um, because that's kind of like what you expect. Where it becomes spooky is like the Final Fantasy game. Uh or things that have like tons of sequels. Bro, I haven't played Final Fantasy since seven.
1: <laughs> so like when Well the numbering there is like crazy. Like well, exactly. you know, you know, basically, like, Final Fantasy 1 comes out many years ago, and it's released in Japan and the U.S., and it's, like, Final Fantasy. But then 2 and 3 come out in Japan, mm-hmm. but they don't get released in the U.S. And then Final Fantasy 4 comes out in Japan. They release it in the U.S., and they change the number to 2. And so, and it's just, like, that's that's a whole other issue. Well, so, so my
0: general argument here, and, and maybe I'm not making the argument, my general feeling is that sequelization is bad for player usability
1: um (laughs) and i think it's where it's properly used to and i think this is you know kind of what you were getting to is when it's when it fuels the story right so like definitely they're playing last of us 2 without playing last of us is you're you're missing out so much um if there is something that is like I don't know if you know The Legend of Zelda, The Oracle of Seasons, and The um, Oracle of Ages. Mm -mm. Um, It's like a light-dark version, Um, Yang Yang. The two games exist simultaneously, and actions you do in one game affect the other game. Oh, that's cool. But, that's, but you need the left part of the story for the right part of the story. So okay. I, I like that model yeah. because it, it tells a story. Similar to that is Shovel Knight. And I'm not oh, sure if yeah. you've ever...
0: I've played Shovel Knight, yeah. You have? Yeah, I've never beaten it. But yeah, I've played yeah,
1: it. Yeah, so Shovel Knight is amazing. If you like those grindy, hard, old school side-scrolling games, it is there. <laughs> and like, if you're a Mega Man person or you yeah, are it's very Mega Man-y. Metroid or you like the... If you are into Metroidvania games, which is what they call, is an actual genre, that is like the map and side-scrolling, Yacht Club Games came out with Shovel Knight, and it's like, hey, this is the tech. This is what it looks like. It looks old school, pixelated. However, we're not changing our engine here. We're going to release four games. They're all going to tell you four different sides of stories of the same story. So you play the first one, Shovel Knight, which is Shovel of Hope, and it tells you Shovel Knight's story where he's like the main hero and he's saving his another knight that he works with you know but then you get to play Shovel Knight Plague of Shadows where it's like you're an evil guy who's one of the evil knights you go up against who and is for the evil queen but you see his story is different the reason why he's doing what he's doing is a totally different motivations right but then you, when you play the third one Specter of Torment, or the fourth one which is King of Cards it's they're all like different stories of the same game but different perspectives and motivations much like octopath traveler that's really interesting i love sequelization for story and i'm not a story person you know that yeah. <laughs> we've talked about that but i love sequelization for story i don't like sequelization when it's street fighter 2 street fighter 2 sure. alpha street fighter 2 turbo street well i, in, t- I think t- when you we get,
0: i think when we're talking about like street fighter right um we're talking about um Product containerization, right? We're talking about different technologies milking, like street. Milking
1: water. a franchise. Well, yeah. that's
0: probably it too, right? I mean, one of the one of the ideas about um, sequels, which may you know, like the popularity may come from like the 80s, is that your sequel, your two, your Destiny Two, will make a lot more money than revamped Destiny Destiny expansion. You know that mm-hmm. when Grand Theft Auto eventually comes out. Rockstar is going to make a billion dollars, right? So, uh, and, and it's one of those things where it could technically be built on the same thing, but there's a product moment around these kinds of sequels that are lucrative to the company. To your point earlier in the episode, you or I, I wonder if we are in the death throes of that type of sequel now that technology doesn't require it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like because you know because now, um, the barrier to entry to create games in a particular IP is lower than it has ever been, and the technology doesn't require product containers Look, <laughs> product containerization because you can ship entirely new engines over the over over the wire. I mean, I, it's interesting. So like, I. I have some vocabulary and what we're kind of discussing when we're talking about Blood Hunt um, and um, some of the others, like, you know, like Octopath Traveler. We're talking about something that's that is classified, I I think, technically um, by the Library of Congress as a standalone sequel, a work set in the same universe that has very little of any narrative connection to its predecessor and can stand on its own one of the, you know, and we kind of talked about like the sort of product containerization thing. Um, Another thing that's, you know, and of course, like Library of Congress isn't going to uh, classify a SQL like that. Although I think the point stands. Um, Another one that's coming straight out of my, or our background in kind of an engineering and tech world is um, SQL as semantic versioning. Um, Some of our listeners may not know, and why, why would they, that you know the numbers on versions like 1.0, 1.2, 2.0, 2.1, 2.2 have meaning yeah. um and mm-hmm. a lot of the times uh it's a three number based system where it's like 1.1.1, where the the rightmost number is a patch or a bug fix the middlemost number <laughs> the middlemost the middlemost number is a um is a an additive feature that doesn't break mm-hmm. anything, and the first number, the one to two, the two to three, represents a breaking change. And so, when it comes to software, when oh wait a second,
1: I didn't. What do you mean by breaking change? Oh, a Just breaking change, yeah.
0: Listening. So, um, so uh, in in software, like semantic versioning describes, um, it, it tries to standardize how these versions, uh, version numbers are made. And the idea of going from 1.0 to 2.0 is that you are signaling to consumers of your software that whatever you've done or used or built around 1.0 should not be expected to work. You are signaling that there is a breaking difference between 1.0 and 2.0. And so I don't know that players know this internally but um when it it occurred to me i guess when we were talking is like one of the great reasons for maybe doing a version change like that a 2.0 to 3.0 isn't just for the ability to market the shit out of it and like and then squeeze all the dollars out of it Um, Mm
1: -hmm. but it's
0: a signal not so much that something's new although people interpret it as that they expect new software new goods new changes or whatever bug fixes or whatever but also that it is not going to work in the same way. It's saying like, this mm-hmm. is significantly different. So
1: substantial re- enough change. To reset your expectations. Code, yeah. Like we've changed from the core, build it from the ground up differently, or have made it more efficient. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So like if an API is 1.0 to 2.0, um, your, whatever you built around that 1.0 API will probably break if you upgrade. So that's, th- so that's, you know like when i'm looking at these like library of congress classifications of sequels like i just we just added 2 right um from mm-hmm. engineering numbers and i think one of the things with games is that you're smashing like you know the like the right brain of the game industry which is like narrative and story and experience with a left brain which is engineering <laughs> and um and it kind of like mushes together and i wonder if that might be a reason why numbering systems are stupid bananas and hard and like at this point baffling um
1: so with semantic versioning and we think about things of software that's one piece of it that's going to play into how it works but then also the story piece as well so the story piece may or may not relate to the semantic versioning uh, is kind of what we're saying and so does it matter having Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way through 16? Um, Or can we just have DLC, which would be, okay, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, you know, version of the software? Um, And then, of course, there's a purchasing model. Like we want to sell DLC. We want to make money from it, you know. And um, will we get five bucks from a player if we add DLC? Or will we get. Or is it better to get sixty dollars, you know, from a brand new game or version? Um, will they pay more if it's an expansion of the story?
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, and 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 I can see the motiv the the motivation coming either direction. Sometimes it's it sounds counterintuitive. Sometimes it's cheaper to rebuild the whole thing from the ground up. You know, once you build enough, what they call like technical debt or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I can totally see a world where it's like, hey, we, Unity Five is out, um, and we need to rebuild on blah blah, on on this new engine, and we're just gonna scrap everything because now you know the developers who work in this framework don't exist anymore because that's twenty years old, and you know we're going to get something new. We're gonna start mm-hmm. from scratch, breaking change, new number. Then yeah. creative has to be like, oh shit. Um, well, do they just slap a new story onto that? And I, I, you know, I, 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 think what we might be pinpointing is, if anything, is like why numbering systems for games are strange because, really, it is a question like, hey, is this a, is this a book? Is this a narrative? Is this like a movie? Is this art, or is this technology? And the answer is yes.
1: Yeah. There is an answer already. I mean. Or let me give you an example of what you just described. We have The Last of Us. We have The Last of Us 2. Huge award-winning games on both accounts. Phenomenal story. Makes the player hurt at what difficult decisions they need to make, right? Um, Last of Us Left Behind, which is the DLC that is for the first one, The Last of Us. which expanded the story and showed um, Ellie's girlfriend and that kind of relationship, which they built out between one and two. That is like, seems to be like the win-win, right? It's like, this is DLC, that also furthers the story, um, and people want that story piece. But it is DLC, you had to pay for it, you know? So I think that is probably, You know,
0: is it considered the, so one of the problems I think like as a, as a player with DLC is that, I don't know, like, like if I had to look at DLC, like I, I think my bias is, um, that it's at least skippable. Right. So like with, with something like that, which I, I seem to remember like, you know, the, like the news around, you know, that uh, revelation was huge. Um, mm-hmm. but is that considered like, do you need to have play Is that considered like an extension of one as in like one isn't complete without this additive story before you can get to two or could you skip it?
1: So my understanding of this from playing the games and not have playing the DLC, but kind of knowing one and two and kind of what the DLC is, is that that's character is in one proper, but it's kind of this, you never know what happens. There seemed to be like something there, some meaning in their relationship, like, yep, either really good friends or, or, or whatever, you know, if you wanted that story being developed, that's it. Um, that's what you get it for. Um, I think it's kind of, that is related to the story and it kind of adds and fleshes out. It's character development for Ellie. You know what I mean? That's what you're paying for. It's very different than Bioshock where they will literally just DLC the crap out of you for a whole new story or just a little mini game or like a new kind of thing in the same place. And like, this also happened in Rapture. Pay for it. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, that doesn't really contribute to the main story, but it, it does show another story that happened on the same maps and to me, that feels like I'm, for me, I'm not going to say disingenuous, but it's like I'm less inclined to experience yeah. this also happened versus like, oh, this is this is a deeper dive into character development or the story or what was going on um, just for me.
0: So the Library of Congress classifies what you just described as a quill. a midquill <laughs> um, a quill. <laughs> mi- yeah um, stories that take place between two preceding stories uh, or between events but serve as a sequel to Nut right it's lore building right it's like hey yeah. we're, uh, tell me more about this red dragon from beyond the hills I'm, I'm surely like you know it's 200 years it's smog or whatever clearly it's uh, eaten a whole bunch of villages and stuff Tell us a story about those villages, right? It's like in the same world, it's lore that it doesn't change the valley. It doesn't change what happens uh, to Bilbo and his companions. Um, but it's more, right? Like, that's what it is, it's more.
1: We put a lot of work into Design Thinking Games, so if you like what we do and want to help us cover some costs, then consider supporting us at patreon.com designthinkinggames. We also are Design Thinking Games on TikTok, twitch and twitter
0: thank you for listening to the design thinking games podcast to connect with your hosts michael or tim please go to designthinkinggames.com where you can request topics ask questions or see what else is going on until next time game on